live from beyond the beltway this is eric cope filling in for bruce dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders pundits power brokers public servants professors and most importantly plain speaking americans from coast to coast tonight featuring commentary by conservative john giacaris liberal pat whalen and University of Chicago political science from our home base, AM 560, The Answer, WYMD Radio, in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 if you want to be a part of the program with us this evening. Uh, Gentlemen, once again, a uh, very boring week in Washington, D.C., leading up to the conversation we're having on this Sunday night. Nothing ever out of the ordinary happening uh, to discuss, uh, other than it taking multiple ballots to elect a Speaker of the House for the first time since the 1800s. So that is definitely an interesting development and something that we should probably send a considerable amount of time on. Uh, To recap what has happened in Washington. Uh, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, now Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, prevailed in the race to be Speaker on the 15th ballot uh, after four days uh, whittling away opposition that started with about six people opposed to him and it grew at its height to about 20. Um, He got these votes by uh, making a series of concessions to this uh, rebellious part of the caucus, um, which uh, Democrats are saying will make the House ungovernable. Uh, exactly how governable the House was to begin with is an open question that I'm sure we will eventually get into. Uh, So this whole process was a little out of the ordinary in that usually this is a coronation for whoever is the heir apparent to be Speaker, not to be this time. So, Charles, I want to start with you, and I want to ask the question with so many of these seemingly bizarre things that happen in, in our politics now, I feel compelled to ask the question, in a couple of weeks from now, will any of this matter at all? Well, I do think it damages the Republican brand because it looks as if a clown car showed up on the floor of the House. But I think that the uh, the suggestion you're making that it may fade away is important, too. I, I think whether it will matter will depend upon the one single most important thing, and that is can the republicans use the congress control of the house their control of the house to effectively put forward an agenda that any presidential uh, candidate can run on in 2024 if the house is ungovernable in that sense if they if they uh, reach a traffic jam and can't get any legislation out to the senate even though it won't pass there uh, they will harm themselves for 2024 John G. Karras, you're our uh, conservative uh, Republican joining us this evening. <clears throat> so what, in what Charles said there, uh, he said that it has the potential to uh, be damaging to the Republican Party, or at least the perception of the Republican Party. And he also brought up the idea of whether or not they're going to be able to put uh, some kind of an agenda forward. What do you think of that? Do you think that this whole experience was damaging to the Republican brand? And then I guess we can dive into uh, what exactly we're going to see coming out of the now Republican, narrowly Republican-controlled House. I think it was definitely um, embarrassing for uh, Kevin McCarthy, for sure, and uh, for the Republican Party uh, in general. Um, 
Having said that, uh, there are some positive reforms that came out of this. Um, you know, what's, what's kind of been, uh, flown under the radar during this whole process is that for the last uh, few years, uh, Nancy Pelosi was fairly despotic with how she ran the House. Um, there really wasn't much um, a chance to uh, propose amendments on any given bills, uh, much time to read anything, uh, you know, before uh, members had to vote on anything. So there were a lot of good reforms that came out of this, particularly from the group uh, that was, uh, seems like it was, you know, more or less led by Chip Roy in terms of um, about 13 of the 20 members that were holding up the speakership. As far as the other uh, six, um, I'm not sure what they got out of all of this, uh, particularly when uh, they ended up pushing it from a 14th to a 15th ballot and not much changed in between. It seems like uh, Matt Gates and Co, and Co just, uh, you know, uh, flipped on, a, on the drop of a dime and then finally, you know, let things progress. So um, I think Republicans do have a lot of work to do in terms of showing independent voters in particular that uh, they can govern themselves, let alone govern the House. Um, but it, 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 I think it's fair to say that in two weeks, you know, almost all of this will probably be forgotten. Let's stick with you for a second, John, because I try to, you know, use your uh, creative imagination and try to put yourself uh, into the mind of Matt Gates. What is he trying to get out of this? What was he trying to get out of this? And do you think he got anything out of this? The only thing that can make sense out of it is he... Uh, he and the other five basically wanted to show they have leverage, which, you know, again, w with a four-seat majority in the, or five-seat majority in the House, any six people can do that. And, and I think, uh, you know, that was already demonstrated. Um, beyond, beyond that, from what I read, uh, it seems like uh, those six in particular were uh, trying to get specific uh, assignments on uh, subcommittees. And uh, also, they wanted guarantees that they wouldn't get punished for all the posturing and uh, delay that they had been implementing up until then. Um, and for what it's worth, there are Republican staffers I know on the Hill who told me that uh, these particular six were actually being counseled by uh, the former Trump chief of staff and chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Mark Meadows. Uh, but what exactly they were trying to get at here and what they were trying to accomplish, uh, I'm not sure because, like I said, between the 14th and 15th ballot, nothing really changed. Uh, but for some reason, uh, Gates just went from pushing to adjourn until Monday to, all right, we'll just, let's do this. And then they all switched to present like that. Pat Whalen is our uh, resident man of the left, and uh, I should note from the last time we had him on, high-functioning cynic, uh, which is probably a good point of view to bring to bear on the events that have happened in Washington, D.C., did the Democrats play this correctly uh, by just continuing to sit back and vote for Hakeem Jeffries and watch the Republicans do whatever it is the Republicans were going to do? Well, I know Stock and Garrett popcorn went up this week because the entire Illinois delegation brought big, big buckets with them. Um, you know, I, I think that they did that uh, in jest, though, thinking that once or twice uh, is, is kind of amusing. And more than that, everyone starts to look at each other and say, are we going to be able to legislate when the, when the smoke clears on all this? So the fact that we can't even divine Matt Gaetz's, uh, you know motivations uh, about his switching of a vote is certainly telling to, you know, I think I'm a medium-functioning cynic this week. I just don't think I'm as optimistic a cynic as I was last week, and that's really saying something. But... Uh, 
how Democrats play it, I mean, besides the alphabet lesson uh, from Hakeem Jeffries, which was a nice touch, I don't know that there was much more that they could do. You know, you see AOC. Thank you, C-SPAN, by the way. I'm glad that they had their, their run of the chamber for camera angles this week because it was a great week to be an AP photojournalist. Am I right? Um, too bad it's all gone Don, gone now that there is a majority. But the point is you saw angles of AOC talking to Gates and, and talking to a few people, and everyone's going, what in God's name are they talking about? Maybe AOC was trying to yeah. work something out from the left, but, you know, did, did they play it, it right? They sat back and, and it watched. Certainly was, uh, it certainly was an interesting thing. We will get into more of that and maybe even brainstorm what they were talking about when we are back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. 
For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't share the at least the best tweet that I've seen. Uh, no, actually, not really about what was going on in Washington, but uh, about NFL football, because right now the Dallas Cowboys are playing the Washington Commanders, uh, which the person I saw said, I'm keeping my eye on the Cowboys-Commanders game because I need to see how much a McCarthy can give up in Washington to his opponents and still win. <laughs> of course, Dallas being coached by Mike McCarthy. Um Let's let's, uh, hey, uh, let's let's come back to uh, the other McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, so he is now Speaker of the House, which is the thing that he seems to have been angling for for let me count it, uh, carry the one forever. <laughs> um, an interesting bit of a uh, congressional career, if uh, anybody else remembers. He was one of the three young guns that was profiled in a book that came out just after the Tea Party wave was elected to Congress. Uh, your trivia question uh, answer is the other two young guns were Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor, both of which are now out of Congress, Kevin McCarthy being the last surviving one. Um, I guess the uh, well, I'll let other people describe their uh, their takes on, on Kevin McCarthy, but he did seem to be kind of single uh, had a single headed view of this was what he wanted to be was Speaker of the House and he was going to get there come hell or high water. Charles is. Is this the high mark of Kevin McCarthy's speakership being elected Speaker of the House? Because as John noted, he's got about a six vote, five vote margin. Uh, there's not a whole lot that the Republicans are going to be able to do. Because even if they can pass legislation by anywhere between one to five votes, it is going to go to a Democrat-controlled Senate, and it's also would eventually end up at the desk of a Democrat president in Joe Biden. So there's not a lot legislatively that they can do. And with that small of a margin, and after witnessing what we just witnessed with 15 rounds of votes in order just to get him elected speaker, um, one, I think, has to doubt his talent at doing the thing that a speaker of the House is supposed to do, which is corral votes. That's a very interesting uh, point, Eric. And I was particularly struck on the second to the last ballot how they had miscounted the votes. They thought they were going to win, but they came up one vote short, and that shouldn't have happened and wouldn't have happened under Nancy Pelosi. Not only would she have coerced the last vote, she would have counted right to begin with. I think that the um, – I have not really heard Kevin McCarthy put forward a strong agenda of his own. It seems like what he wants is the position – uh, and uh, the power that goes with it, but not necessarily uh, for specific policy reasons. But whether, whether he's weak, I think, depends on whether you look at the next two years or the two or four years after that. He'll still be the speaker unless something drastic happens when the Republicans hope to take a much larger margin in the 2024 election but right now it looks like that old joke that first prize is a week in cleveland in midwinter and the second prize is two weeks and this looks more like a vacation in midwinter in buffalo 
<laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. John, uh, yeah, Pat, Pat, go. Time out. Uh, being a Buffalonian, um, <laughs> you know, originally. Is that what you guys are called? From said Bo- Buffalonian. A lot of people wonder, Buffaloite? No, it's Buffalonian. <laughs> Heck of a week for Buffalo. But, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, Charles. And, I mean, I, I just think. Someone should have told Kevin McCarthy, you know, you can get a gavel on any gift shop on Pennsylvania Avenue. You know, you don't have to go through all this to get it. But I, I think Charles is on to something. You know, no one knows what he's going to hey, do Pat, with it. Yeah. Did you just move to get on the other side of the like effect? That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, if I can derail, Eric, cut me off at any time. But people always ask me, are the winners worse in Chicago or Buffalo? And I say... They're worse here. And they say, really? Because Buffalo gets more snow. I say, yeah, but we're prepared for it. If I'm a bird or a stray cat, yeah, winters are worse in Buffalo. You but should as, see as a, human, a half an inch of snow in Memphis. Yikes. <laughs> if it rains in Florida, no one goes out. I mean, total, total chaos. <laughs> Unreal. There's a chill in the air. And, and, and if, it's well, 50, if it's 50 degrees here, we're growing. We've just learned the proper way to describe a citizen of Buffalo, New York, which uh, it sounds like the kind of thing that uh, most New Yorkers would have on rye bread with some mustard, uh, Buffalonian. <laughs> uh, also known as a Bills fan. But, John, I, 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 I want to come back to you with what Charles said there. I mean, I think this is one of the uh, indictments of Kevin McCarthy that probably rings true to a good number of people, that he doesn't seem to have a core. Like there's not uh, a, a you know he's, there's not a deeply ideological being it seems to be in there. Um, he came in with the Tea Party wave and he was uh, a Tea Party guy when it was convenient for him to be a Tea Party guy. Um, he's been an establishment guy when it has been good for him to be an establishment guy. He was a MAGA guy when it was good for him to be a MAGA guy. Um, so what are you uh, what are you expecting out of Kevin McCarthy? Well, you know, arguably, if he wasn't all those things, I'm not sure he'd even be speaker today with such a narrow margin. Um, and also, for all the knocks on McCarthy, I think people need to remember that he managed to win uh, 13 seats in 2020 when no one was expecting the Republicans to pick up any. Then he uh, picked up another nine uh, this year and ended up flipping the House. I mean, of all the people uh, Republicans want to blame for the um, lack of the red wave manifesting this year, I-, I wouldn't put McCarthy high on that list. Having said that, of course, it was a disappointing year. And... The majority, uh, you know, is only by pretty much the same margin the Democrats had for the last two years. So that's that's what's been making this so difficult for uh, Kevin. But to be frank, I, I think if you were, you know, too much, you know, too hard to one side of the party or too hard to the other side of the party, I'm not sure uh, he would have had enough uh, votes to eventually get elected. Um, so having said all that, uh, I, I think uh, it, it is it is worth noting that uh, there really uh, hasn't been. Um, a, a, a concrete agenda put forth in terms of what what Republicans are going to uh, be pushing for. We do know that there were con- some concessions made uh, in order to make uh, 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 Kevin Speaker. Uh, some of those bills being uh, uh, a vote on on the Southern uh, a border bill, essentially, which I don't think any Republican was opposed to be, to begin with. Uh, they want to vote on term limits, which fine, but I mean nothing short of a constitutional amendment will really accomplish that. Um, beyond that. It seems that that Republicans got much more mired in the whole uh, process and rules package and uh, who gets what on which subcommittee than any you know specific uh, legislative agenda item. Yeah, I do want to come back to the concessions that uh, the people opposing McCarthy won in this whole battle. Um, but you know, it, it, 
I, I had heard somebody make the comments that and I think there is some merit to it. Again, I, I, I understand the point you're making, John, about you can't lay the failure of the Republican Party electorally entirely at the feet of Kevin McCarthy. But when people were asking, like, you know, what mistake has Kevin McCarthy made in this whole process? Well, the biggest one is not winning 25 seats in the 2022 elections. I mean, this whole thing would have been so much easier for him if he didn't have to worry about what Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert thought at any given uh, moment in time. Uh, with that in mind, uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to John in McHenry County, listening to McHenry County. John, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, good evening, all. And uh, just want to bring up something that uh, early on in the roll calls, I think it was roll call two or three, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas said it best as far as the omnibus bill and how that came about, how the House did not have any say in what went into the final package. Granted, it was Democrat-controlled, but, you know, the Constitution says the House begins all funding bills. And something that was somewhat missing, even though all the press releases, I know Congresswoman Miller, Congresswoman Luna out of Florida all said, was, well, we got these concessions. Well, nobody got a concession of we're going to pass all the appropriations bills. We're going to pass 12 bills, not one omnibus bill and let alone an early commitment to finish that work and to send it to the Senate to get the process going. Basically, you know, Roy said about the continuing resolutions that presidents from both parties have used over the past you know, several years. Um, and, you know, the budget year starts October 1st. So the fiscal year 24 budget should start October 1st. Hasn't done so in at least six years. He had a government shutdown in one of those years. So I'm curious what the panelists has to think about will – the new speaker, and I know he's got a birthday at the end of the month, which hopefully, uh, you know, he'll be able to take this budget bill, no more omnibus bills, and how can we get that on center for what the House is supposed to be doing as far as funding instead of all these investigations that they've been talking about. Uh, uh, Eric, much for your call, uh, John. Uh, uh, John, let's uh, start, Jude Karras, let's start with you and then uh, move to Charles and Pat really quick. Uh, I just uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I th- what wasn't one of the concessions is that um, uh, the uh, uh, at least procedurally the House will be voting on single item issues in terms of in terms of budget appropriations. I think that is correct. Bills would move through regular order, which is um, at least uh, part of it that would hopefully. I think people are hoping would address some of these concerns about everything being packed into an omnibus bill in the way that uh, Congress really hasn't operated in a budgetary way in, in a very long time. And that's um, and that's and Charles, that's worth do, you, do you think we're going to make a transition to going back to the way Congress used to budget? Uh, I'd be very surprised. I mean, I think that the Republicans will try. I find it very bizarre that Congress can pass bills. Uh, and appropriate the money for them, but still has to have a separate vote on the budget ceiling. But one of the things, that, I mean, it seems kind of odd to me, but but the um, one of the things that you saw this time that you hadn't really seen since the days of Bob Dole was Republicans really talking about wanting to rein in the deficit. And I don't know how serious they are about that because nobody has paid a price on either party for running big deficits. And if the Republicans try to cut, for example, the military bill, which Democrats are going to want them to do, I think there'll be a lot of pushback within the Republican Party. 
Uh, one of the big questions that we are going to have to see in the coming days uh, with, with regard to military funding in general is going to be whether or not aid to Ukraine is going to be something that is going to stay. There's clearly a part of the Republican caucus that is in favor of ending that and how, how Kevin McCarthy is going to navigate that divide within his own party. It really is the divides within his own party that are going to be the most interesting ones to, to watch how Kevin McCarthy deals with in the coming days. We'll get more into uh, how Congress may or may not operate in uh, the coming days and months when we are back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
Eric Owen back filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. And uh, we have reached the appointed part of the program where we allow our guests to tell the audience a little bit about themselves. And we will start this week with John G. Karras. Uh, for those of you who uh, aren't familiar, I'm John G. Karras. I'm a senior tax counsel with uh, Rock, Fusco, and Connolly. Um, I handle uh, property taxes, all sorts of different uh, tax appeals. And, uh, yeah, I've been uh, serving in uh, Republican circles uh, and campaigns for many, many years. Thank you, John. Charles. I'm uh, Charles Lipson um, from Marks, Mississippi, but I've been a professor at the University of Chicago for many, many years. I'm now emeritus, which means great with merit. Um, and I uh, write a lot of op-eds, including uh, those for Real Clear Politics, Spectator World, Newsweek, occasionally the Wall Street Journal, and others. Thank you, Charles. And uh, our high-functioning or mid-functioning cynic, depending on how he's feeling at the moment, Pat Whalen. <laughs> also with merit, if I might add. Um, yes, Pat Whalen, uh, former actor, uh, current state senate staffer, uh, Chicagoan, and Buffalonian at heart. Truly, and always a Bills fan. Always a Bills fan. So feel, feeling feeling good about the Bills? Yeah, I mean, you know, John and I were talking at the break. Uh, everything really positive developments with uh, Demar, and uh, they yeah. brought it home literally uh, against the Patriots today. So uh, you know, I ca I don't count my chickens and all that. You know, wide right, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, you know, we I'm I'm feeling good. Again, high functioning. I, well, let, let's entertain a digression here uh, just just for a moment, because I think this actually is some interesting cultural stuff to to dive into here. So, an incredible moment with the opening of the uh, the Patriots Bills game with uh, Niam Hines running back the uh, the kickoff for for a touchdown. Um, there was a lot of consternation last Monday night about whether or not the NFL was too slow to stop a game like that. Uh, it, I would think the reason that they would be slow to stop a game like that is because of it's Monday night football. It's a big deal. It has playoff implications. Um, I'll, I'll start with you, Pat, on this. Uh, do you think we invest way too much importance in things like NFL football that, you know, we, we could tell something was very, very seriously wrong with Tamar. They were, um, the, you know, having to provide mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation for him. Uh, do, do you think we invest way too much in this, that it was even a question that that game would be resumed? I mean, in all seriousness, I, as I said earlier, I am uh, uh, my background was in uh, theater and film acting, so, you know, I stayed away from sports a lot. But being from Buffalo, you can't help but be uh, swept up in, in the culture of it. And I was definitely, there was a period of my life where I said, if people gave half as much a darn about Monday Night Football as they did about congressional races, uh, you know, we might be out of a job here because there wouldn't be some sort of a, a show like this. Um, you know, was the call too late? Yes. From what I've heard, and this is unconfirmed, uh, Goodell did not want to pull the plug and told them, give him five minutes and get back out there, and the coaches and players locked arms and said, we're not going to do that, thanks anyway. That's a huge deal. Um, but whether or not, you know, we invest too much in it. Look, the NFL is a massive conglomerate, and a lot of people had DeMar uh, merch, you know, number three stuff that was official league merch on the sidelines today. I wonder if a portion of those profits is going to go towards his medical rehabilitation for his family to be able to take care of his bills. I don't know the hardline facts about that, but sports are important, and I say that as a guy who doesn't follow them as closely as most. Charles or John, I'll let either of you jump in here. Do, do we put too much of an emphasis on uh, professional sports? And I, I would only 
contest what Pat said to a certain extent, whereas um, the, there is this constant uh, push there has been over time that more people should care about politics, more people should care about uh, races, what's going on in the federal government and all of that. And um, I'm of decidedly mixed opinion on that, that I uh, I've just yet to see the evidence that more people being involved is in and of itself a good. I mean, I think if more people definitely were interested and compelled to do so because of their interests, that's great. But it kind of follows to me along the same lines as this theory that says, well, if everybody voted in every election, the results would be better. I just have yet to see any evidence that that is remotely true. I agree with you. I, I appreciate the Chicago Bears pretty much freeing up my Sunday afternoons. <laughs> um, many other years, I've actually spent Sunday afternoons watching professional football. My preference is is substantially for college football, uh, partly because the mistakes kind of make it interesting and so forth. Although college football, with all the portal window, now looks a lot more like the pros. Um, I would just say one thing, and, and I think Michigan, University of Michigan college football is a good example of this. It totally integrates the entire campus around one thing. They're all from the University of Michigan, and they all go to the big house and so forth. And that's true. I mean, look at what Pat Whelan is saying. He lives in Chicago, but he grew up with the Buffalo Bills, coached by a Chicagoan, Marv Levy, uh, and uh, it integrated uh, the people of Buffalo. Rich, poor, black, white, didn't matter. You were a Buffalo Bills fan. And there's something kind of good about that as long as it doesn't turn into what uh, so much of it in England does with soccer hooligans and all the rest. And I don't see that in America. I mean, I see, you know, an occasional fight or something, but it it's kind of nice to see that. The other thing that's kind of interesting, Eric, is to see the rise of soccer um, as a, a sport that hardly existed when I was a kid. But it's you, you now not only see American teams, you see bars that have English and continental teams that are being watched by people who didn't grow up in Mexico watching soccer, but there are American kids who grew up with it. Uh, the one thing, Charles, that I just learned from your comments there is if uh, if you think that there's a lack of uh, hooliganism in NFL football, I clearly can tell that you've never uh, been to a Philadelphia Eagles game. <laughs> uh, Actually, my, one of my friends is the uncle of Peyton and Eli. Oh, and, wow. And uh, uh, his uh, brother-in-law is Archie. And uh, he, he says that Peyton and Eli wouldn't let their wives go to games in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> they actually booed Santa Claus. I believe they also threw batteries at Santa Claus. Yeah, so batteries. It's, 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 it's That's a, hardcore. It's a, Philadelphia is really its own place. Uh, before we get back on the uh, the politics of the week, John, I'll let you uh, weigh in any thoughts on, I mean, do, if we overvalue uh, uh professional sports or or not you know with that example from last night's monday night football game really standing out as kind of a clear one where the the health and concern for an individual uh seemed at least for a short period of time like it was going to take a back seat to the game itself well uh, you know just broadly speaking i think for professional sports for most people it's just an escape it's it's it's, it's an escape from politics it's an escape from all the you know serious um you know things going on in the world. Um, I think that's why you know fans would prefer it. You know it it stay unpoliticized if possible. 
Uh, but as far as Monday night went, I mean, I think most of the fans, you know, understood, you know, why the game couldn't resume. And if anything, I mean, you know, when when Demar Hamlin was taken to the hospital in Cincinnati, there were Bengals fans showing up outside the hospital, praying for him, holding vigils. Um, you know, I think the fans definitely have the the safety of our you know professional athletes first and foremost. And you know, again, Pat and I were just talking Demar's toy drive. You know, where his his original goal was like twenty five hundred dollars. Last I checked it, it was up to like six and a half million. So um, you know, I think I I think fans are capable of keeping a maintaining a fair balance of just enjoying, you know, sports is just an escape from everything, but also, you know, not not prioritizing entertainment before the safety of, of our athletes. But do you remember when uh, Chicago had Michael Jordan playing basketball Ooh. and what it was like in the city? Oh, Ooh. I remember. <laughs> For sure. I, I, I grew up in that era. Yeah, yeah it I was... think, uh, let's be clear that everybody were, of course, playing, praying for a safe recovery for uh, for Demar Hamlin, and um, the progress that we've already seen from him is great. But uh, let's let us transition back to uh, someone who probably feels like a football tackling dummy, and Kevin McCarthy after the experience <laughs> he went through uh, in Washington with, hey, he went 15 rounds. I mean, uh, most people <laughs> couldn't go like two rounds with Mike Tyson. He landed uh, lasted 15 rounds with Matt Gates. Uh, how impressive exactly that is. I'm. Not entirely sure, uh, Pat. I, I'm going to come to you. You made you made a joke, which yeah, I agree. You could get a gavel anywhere if that's really what you wanted. Is there a worse job in Washington D.C. than being Speaker of the House? There is if you can't do it. <laughs> Let's be real. Like you know, I, we can talk about N- Nancy Pelosi and you know the 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 despotic nature of her ability to let the opposition do their thing. But Mitch McConnell has said she's the most effective Speaker of the House there ever has been. And she definitely went a few rounds to to secure her votes to be Speaker of the House, but she did it behind closed doors. I mean, nothing against Kevin McCarthy. I know he wants it. He feels like he's earned it. He feels like it's his turn. Good for you. But at the end of the day, Chip Roy is looking people in the eye on the Sunday shows today and saying, oh, yeah, calling each amendment up for a vote is going to make things way easier. What planet do you live on? They're not going to be able to get anything done. Speaker of the House is supposed to be a layup. And it is, I mean, we got the debt ceiling in a few weeks. I mean, give me a break. It's going to be a mess. So, yeah, Kevin, you know, it was an impressive show of stoicism, right? He did, like, hold his ground, which is also a character trait that I think you need as Speaker of the House. But, like, in terms of organizing this group of stray cats that he has in a caucus, I mean, good luck, pal. It is going to be interesting to watch uh, McCarthy have to deal with his his own kind of rump caucus in the way that Nancy Pelosi also had to navigate circumstances like that with uh, the squad with a narrow majority like she had over the last couple of years and the possibility that they could turn asunder any possible vote or any possible legislation that she was attempting to drive. I think Pat raises the interesting question that we can examine uh, more thoroughly on the other side of the break, which is... Will Kevin McCarthy prove to be as good as Nancy Pelosi in managing uh, a a members of her own uh, his own caucus that are going to want to mount some kind of opposition are going to want to make his life more difficult? I mean, we already saw how difficult it was just to get the speaker votes wrapped up. It's going to be interesting to see if he can navigate those waters otherwise, which we will explore when we are back on the other side of this break. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. If you want to join us on the phone lines, they are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. And let's go to the phones right now and go to Kevin in Austin, Texas. Kevin, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks. I appreciate you taking my call. You're talking about the people getting more excited about politics. Perhaps they can have trading cards for legislatures <laughs> or maybe a deck of cards like they did when they had the deck of cards for Saddam Hussein. And, you know, well, that's right. Yes. Like that. But let's, you That's, know, uh, but I do think, yeah, Kevin. I do think people can chew gum in uh, politics at the same time, as far as, you know, they can yeah. do sports and, and that. Uh, that being said, on the McCarthy thing, um, 
I think it was a good exercise. It was only a week. It's scary how how everybody was freaking out about it. Uh, I mean, it's a much much better way to have arguments uh, on the floor in politics rather than you know having dominant control or a dictatorship. I can't believe that people are trying to sing the praises of you know the Communist Party is good because they're actually they get things done. It's insane. I think it's a great demonstration of democracy in action. Yeah, that's all I got. Thanks so much, uh, Kevin, for your call. The, uh, well, perhaps the person that we turn to if we need uh, trading cards. I mean, I remember Donald Trump just launched his own NFT trading card. So mm. maybe maybe we can uh, have some kind of an integration here and get uh, uh, this seems also like a cousin of the idea that people had for so long that uh, members of Congress should wear uh, kind of like racing jackets like or, or race cars. They should wear uh, who uh, who they're getting donations from over the suits that they're, uh, they have on the floor of the House or the Senate. Um, but but come back to the. Uh, the the person who I just invoked there, Charles, you were making a point off the air. Uh, make your point about Donald Trump. Uh, I think it was the clearest indication we've had yet during these multiple ballots uh, of how Trump has weakened in his time away from office. He, uh, he called people directly and tried to get them uh, over to McCarthy, uh, perhaps surprising in its own right. But McCarthy had appeared with him um, um, since he left the presidency down at Mar-a-Lago. And people stood on the floor and said, I'm a Donald Trump supporter, but I am not following him on this one. Now, he may take some credit in the end for McCarthy winning, but I think that it shows uh, his weakness. And I'll say one more thing about that. I think uh, Donald, Donald Trump didn't proceed uh, the Tea Party, he came after and picked up that support and amplified it. And what I think people are seeing in Kevin, in, in Ron DeSantis, is that they can get a lot of the same energy and the same sort of kick them in the pants quality that Trump has, but with a lot more effectiveness and a lot less baggage. I think that the iconic photo, well, there are probably two iconic images that are going to live on from this whole Kevin McCarthy speaker experience. One of them is, uh, and I can't, Mike Rogers, the congressman, having to be restrained from going after Matt Gates, And the other is this uh, uh, image, that I think it's from Getty, um, of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, who just kind of had an interesting whole experience here where Marjorie Taylor Greene was playing the reasonable person in between all of this, which is not exactly a role I thought she was going to be inhabiting. But this photo of her holding up her phone and a call from Donald Trump uh, to Matt Rosendale, who is one of the holdouts in the speaker vote, and Matt Rosendale just kind of waving it away as if he doesn't want to talk to Donald Trump. Uh, if you want to bolster the point that Charles is making there, John, I, I think that that is a pretty powerful image that there are people who just don't uh, seem to care all that much about Donald Trump, the man anymore. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, Trump came out uh, for, for McCarthy's speakership fairly, fairly early on, and it didn't seem to move the uh, Matt Gaetzes or Lauren Bulberts or any of the other holdouts. Um, I know uh, the, the, the after after the final vote, they're now uh, Trump is trying to take credit for it, and they're saying it was a phone call that made all the difference. I don't buy that. Um, and yeah, I, I do think his, uh, especially after, you know, going back to the 22 midterms, I mean, you know, there's no other way to cut this. Um, you know, a lot of his candidates just did miserably, particularly in the battleground districts and states. 
And I think that's a big reason why Republicans are, you know, don't have a larger majority in the House, let alone control of the Senate. Um, and uh, to echo Charles's point, I think he's right. Uh, I think DeSantis uh, is basically all of the energy without any of the baggage. And I'm already starting to see uh, quite a lot of Republicans uh, uh, wanting to move on from, from Trump to DeSantis. I think the, the, the X factor there is whether or not there are going to be 16 other candidates running again, uh, cutting up the, you know, not Trump vote, you know, 16 different ways, um, or if it's, you know, going to be as, as close to a binary choice as we can get between a Trump and a DeSantis. If that's the case, I think DeSantis, you know, w- uh, takes the nomination walking away in 24. Pat, does this, uh, real quickly to you, does this complicate the uh, Democrats' preferred narrative that everybody in the GOP is a wholly owned subsidiary of Donald Trump? I don't, well, first of all, I just want to clarify with John. John does not believe Donald Trump when he says a phone call flipped these votes. Are you calling Donald Trump a liar? <laughs> all right, I'll take, that, I'll take that off the air. But um, I, I think that the, the idea that the Democrats want to, you know, attach their cart uh, to the idea that, that Trump is pulling the strings doesn't hold water. But I just want to mention something I haven't heard yet, uh, which is that this vote that actually came through for McCarthy happened on January 6th. January 6th, two years to the day that the Republican so it Party came on the seventh. Came, it they, came. They started minutes. On the 6th, I, but they I'm didn't central. Till the I'm central time zone. So it happened on January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> I moved from the East Coast, so it happened on the same day or around the same day. Thank you, Charles. Emeritus, emeritus with merit. Um, but you know, Jordan was in the mix for that. Gates and Brobert were in the ma- uh, mix for that. Green was in the mix for that. McCarthy uh, was one of five Republicans that didn't answer a subpoena from the January 6th committee, and he was also the first guy off the plane at Mar-a-Lago to shake Donald's hand and act like nothing happened. So counting this out, I don't think uh, is a good idea. However, I think it is a show that the people who were in the mix for that have solidified yeah. the power that they got from it, and that's something to think about. By the way, Pat, uh, if I get a, a, a truth... Uh, Very quick. If I get a truth coming, uh, you know, in the next day of uh, Donald Trump saying, I heard John Giacares <laughs> called me a liar. <laughs> no energy. John Giacares is the liar. We are, okay? uh, we're, we're up again. It's the break. Charles, uh, it has to go. Thank you so much, Charles, for joining us. We'll be back right after this. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. 
Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24 hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone, you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. We are back on hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you so much for everybody for tuning into the program with us this evening. If you want to be a part of the program with us, you can do so by giving us a call at 1-800-723-8289. That is 1-800-723-8289. We spent the majority of the first hour talking about uh, Kevin McCarthy, the now Speaker of the House, and all of the the tumult, all of the uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth that went into the process for him to become the Speaker of the House. And uh, near the end there, Pat invoked uh, the day on which the final part of the voting started, which of course was the second anniversary of January 6th. And I, you know, my Facebook memories have uh, reminded me of, uh, again, trying to put myself back in that mindset for a moment there. Um, of a tweet that I shared from somebody two years ago. Uh, 2016, maybe it won't be that bad. 2021, the Axe Body Spray Corporation stands firmly against the attempted overthrow of the U.S. government. Uh, it, 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 it does bring back memory. Um, so, John, I want to start with you. So, uh, if you don't, uh, if you're not on Facebook, um, I understand. But if you are, uh, go search out John G. Akaris and uh, follow him for his uh, political musings there, which I always find interesting. John uh, has been routinely skeptical of the impact and the, the what is going to come from uh, the January 6th committee in particular. I'm John. I'm curious for your thoughts. I mean, of course, we had you know Biden commemorating the second anniversary and uh, honoring some uh, some people as uh, you know courageous actors on this second anniversary of January 6th. Uh, 
do you think have you changed your opinion at all on how much political saliency January 6th still has for voters because you look at the arguments that Democrats mounted in the 2022 elections pointing back to a lot of that circus it does seem to me that it has had a larger impact than I think a lot of people were expecting it to I agree um, I didn't think uh, yeah I just didn't think that it would be a, a big issue uh, with the electorate uh, particularly when you're looking at 40-year high inflation and 25, you know, high-year crime and all-time high in illegal immigration. I just didn't think January 6 was, you know, going to have a bigger impact. I stood corrected. I think it, uh, I, I think it did have an impact with the electorate. Um, I think the Dobbs decision from the U.S. Supreme Court had a bigger impact with the electorate than I was anticipating as well. Uh, going forward, obviously, the January 6 uh, committee is no longer a thing. Uh, Republicans are going to get their time in the spotlight to highlight whatever they want, including, um, actually, I think one of the concessions that was made during this McCarthy speakership battle was uh, a, a creating a committee on the weaponization of federal government, which I'm sure Republicans will have a lot of fun with. Um, so, uh, and now, you know, I, I think there are some legitimate things that I am very interested in hearing on. I know they're supposed to do a committee on uh, the origins of COVID and uh, what led to the you know, uh, really catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think those are legit issues that uh, need attention. Um, but for me, I you know, this weaponization of federal government thing is essentially going to be the January 6th equivalent for Republicans to uh, score their political points. Yep, I, I want to go to Pat on this uh, weaponization of federal government thing, but I, I, I ask you, John, this question in all seriousness. I, I am, I'm not trying to make a joke out of the question itself. Do you think the people that will be on those latter two committees that you identified, the investigating the origins of uh, of COVID, and sorry, what was the second one? Um, uh, the Afghanistan. Uh, this, this, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, which I agree with you, are absolutely important and salient political issues. Do you think that the Republican Party can conduct itself in a matter um, equal to the seriousness of what it is that they're going to be looking into? Uh, I you know what? It, it'll all depend on who gets staffed on them. I, I really think they can. I mean, I think I think if you if you appoint the right people and the right chairman to uh, chair those individual committees, uh, I think I think they can produce some positive, um, uh, you know, results uh, that that'll shed light on those things. Um, but you know, if they're you know if 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 you're going to have a bunch of you know Matt Gates's or Lauren Bulberts on these committees, then then you obviously know that it's just going to be more theatrical and uh, performative than substantive. Pat, when you hear the list of uh, those at least three committees that we're expecting to be formed in uh, this new Congress, the new House of Representatives there, um, <clears throat> do any of those strike you as being uh, without merit? Non-emeritus? Um, <laughs> uh, well, the Afghanistan withdrawal, that's, that's a tough one, obviously. The... the, the 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 noise that you hear all the way across the ocean is the vacuum that we left uh, behind and now women not being able to go to school and things of that nature obviously leaving it in the hands of the Taliban was awful and the withdrawal itself was hurried at best um, immigration and the border uh, what was the other one John COVID correct the origins of COVID I mean I think John is nailing it you know it depends on the real if, if we're actually going to try to figure out how we could have done the Afghanistan withdrawal better if we're actually trying to figure out 
what the origins of COVID are, then we're in good shape. Um, but there is a gentleman who was actually at January 6th who's running for Congress by the name of Derek Evans, you know. And if people like this can convince sections of the electorate across the country, specifically within the Republican Party, that it's a good idea to send them and their ideals and their values to Congress, we are going to have some trouble actually getting stuff done, passing bills aside. Uh, committees, you know, I welcome any committee that's after the truth, to be frank, if I'm being real with you. Well, John, do you, how much do you think that an investigation of the origins of COVID, and certainly there's plenty to look into there, what do you think the odds are that it's going to focus on that? And what do you think the odds are that the primary focus of it is going to be absolutely everything to do with Anthony Fauci? That's a fair question. Um, I, again, I, 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 I'll be very curious to see who, who makes up these committees. Uh, I think that will sh show a lot. Um, again, if, if Republicans are smart, and I want them to be smart, I want them to be attractive to independent voters going into 2024, I think they should really take this seriously. And, you know, it's, it's, I know it's going to be tough, uh, but we're three, three years after the, uh, you know, the, the COVID broke out and the, you know, Chinese Communist Party has, has had basically three years to cover up evidence and, uh, you know, shut down sources and it's, it's going to be very tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, there's going to be an element of it that's uh, you know, performative and uh, wanting to uh, examine uh, the the lockdowns that went on and then the um, public statements from uh, Anthony Fauci, who's no longer uh, at NIAID, by the way. He's you know finally retired after 38 years, um, probably because he saw what was coming down the pike here. Um, you know, it, it's it, if, if, if Republicans focus the vast majority of the COVID committee, for example, on all the uh, Anthony Fauci stuff, I think that's going to be a big missed opportunity. I, I, I do think there is a, a, a legitimate appetite there to really you know, figure out uh, whether or not this was a lab leak, which, which I think polls show that most people believe. I mean, all the, all the data points there are too coincidental to have it so close to the Wuhan Institute of Vi Vi Virology and to believe that this was a, a natural transmission. Um, I think if it's if they take it seriously, they can turn this into positive points going into 2024, and it's something that that we should be interested well, in anyway. If yeah, I, I I I think that's right, and it's something that uh, Pat, I'll come back to you after the break because Ruffer gets okay. to break here. But uh, there's certainly a lot to learn about the way we handled the response to COVID as well. That's uh, lessons that we should be taking into consideration going forward. We'll get back to that and uh, whatever Pat was going to say. On the other side of this break, Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect, so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We're back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, before the break, uh, Pat, you were going to make a point about something. I don't know what, but go ahead. Yes, uh, so the bills are really, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, in talking about uh, COVID and, you know, these committees in general, uh, if they're staffed and, and led by uh, serious legislators who actually want to find the truth about whatever it is they're tasked with figuring out, I think we'll be in good shape. Um, but I was uh, talking to John during the break about, uh, I think it was Ducey Jr. from Fox asked uh, Donald Trump when he was president during a press conference, why? are we giving all this money to the NIH and this specific task force? And Trump, from the way the question was raised, left, left the press conference and pulled the plug on the task force, which was specifically tasked with investigating a level five, level 5 virus lab in Wuhan, China, specifically having to do with viruses that come from bats. So again, the point is, if we take our eye off the ball with these committees, we're not going to actually make the world a better place. And if we do, voters will be happy. John, one... Uh one investigative thing, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, that we have not heard a whole lot about is uh, Hunter Biden. 
Um, are, are you expecting? So I, I, I think we were expecting Hunter Biden, the investigation of Hunter Biden to be the kind of white whale for the Republicans in the way that the January 6th committee was this kind of white whale for Democrats, at least white whale in the sense of actually expecting to fulfill the uh, the, the long told prophecy of producing the thing, whatever that is, that was going to be to get Trump. Again, whatever that actually means. Are you still expecting that? I mean, I, it's it's we're days into like one day past, you know, two days past Kevin McCarthy uh, finally becoming Speaker of the House. Haven't heard a whole lot about Hunter Biden yet. I mean, this is still coming. You have to think, right? I, I yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's funny because we were just talking about this this uh, weaponization of federal government committee that's coming up. If anything, maybe you'd think that would sort of be the catch all that could you know theoretically incorporate some investigation into. I mean, if they're going to have a, a Hunter Biden centric committee, you know, a committee just solely focused on Hunter Biden and a lap. I mean, I I I don't know how much mileage you're going to get out of that. The you know. Everything that that I think you're ever going to find out about that with the Twitter files dump that we've seen from Elon Musk and uh, Matt Taibbi and and uh, uh, who's the um, uh, Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss uh, yeah. yeah I think I mean that's pretty much I mean that's it like you know it, it, I I don't know what more there is to that um, you know so it, it's I, I would try to keep the the really uh, po- uh, politically motivated committees to a minimum uh, again this weaponization of federal government thing should sort of be a catch-all for that um i i, I think if, if republicans you know take their job seriously on COVID in afghanistan and the rest that could be a really uh, a, a potentially unifying um goal uh for them uh, going forward into 24 particularly with independence and if we're going to do, you know, uh, some Hunter Biden focused uh, committee hearings and we're going to talk about powerful sons or son-in-laws, I'd love to see one about Jared Kushner, uh, who definitely took two billion, I believe, from the Qatari government. Qatari government now caught up in a enormous uh, corruption scheme with many members and staffers in the EU, obviously had a lot of uh, forced migrant workers uh, facilitating the World Cup. Uh, but that's pulling the lens back pretty a lot farther, I think, than a lot of these uh, political folks uh, like Gates and them who uh, are really interested in poll numbers and less about actually figuring things out and finding solutions. Well, the Qataris, I'm I'm shocked to discover that there's gambling going on here. Uh, who knew? With the Democrats, Pat, having held the House for the last two years, um, of all the investigative stuff that we did see, but we did see investigations of the Trump family quite to the degree that I think we're expecting to see an investigation of Hunter Biden coming from the Republicans. Why Why do you think that is? I mean, did, did, did Democrats just not think there was fertile enough ground there to be able to uh, to, to plummet for all it was worth? But I, I, I will have to confess to being somewhat surprised. Uh, to see as minimal by Congress, at least, digging around into the Trump family as we saw. I think this is where uh, the real uh, crux of the power and purpose of the Speaker of the House comes into play. I think that there were plenty of Democrats that wanted to go back to their districts and say, I'm going to spearhead an investigation into throw a dart at the board with all of Donald Trump's outrageous, you know, situations that he had in and out of office. Everybody wanted those on the on the left, including me. Uh, but the point is that where would it have gotten us? It would have further deepened our divisions. We knew that Biden was going to run on unification. He's been beating that drum forever. He's cutting a ribbon in front of a bridge with Mitch McConnell this week. You know, that is not going to help anyone, the, the divisive nature 
uh, of that. So I don't think putting the full force and weight of the federal government behind that would have helped every, a, anyone, anyone. And I think that folks high enough in leadership understood and could think far enough ahead that that was the case. That's the only explanation I have, because I'm surprised, too. John, that's an interesting point that Pat is making there, that it, it uh, let's take you know, Pat's explanation as being the true one, that it is Nancy Pelosi who is Why holding back uh, the wave, like the force on that one. Now, shift your focus over to Kevin McCarthy, and we look at what Kevin McCarthy has just gone through there. We look at what the Matt Gaetzes and the Lauren Boberts were able to do to scuttle for 14 votes, uh, just his uh, election as the Speaker of the House. Do you have any confidence that Kevin McCarthy is going to be able to act in a similar way to Nancy Pelosi to try to keep at least the craziest of the crazy sounding stuff under wraps effectively so that the House can focus on, well, some of the things that we just referenced in investigating uh, COVID or even, and I do want to get into this uh, in, in a little bit, this weaponization of the federal government committee. Do, do you think McCarthy is going to prove capable of handling his own caucus like that? Uh, no, uh, mostly because the uh, a lot of the concessions that were extracted uh, were designed to prevent him from doing that. I actually one of the biggest concessions that we haven't discussed yet was uh, uh, seems uh, uh, his congressional uh, uh, leadership fund. I forget what his pack is called, but they essentially made a truce with the um, uh, who is uh, what's what's the uh, club for growth. Yep. Um, where yep. uh, they basically, you know, he basically took that card out of the deck and saying he can no longer uh, fund uh, mainstream Republicans uh, in these uh, safe red primaries to go against these, um, you know, Freedom Caucus types. And so, you know, I, you know, you just strip one card, you know, after another from the deck. I'm not sure, you know, I mean, and again, this is the, these are the pros and cons of the way. Uh, you know, the the way and the power that Nancy Pelosi had uh, when she was uh, ruling the House versus, um, you know, the, the, the deals that McCarthy had to cut just 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 to get in the speakership office. The, the, the super PAC thing is very interesting because it, it demonstrates how far Republicans and conservatives have gotten away from the so-called Buckley rule. The idea that within a primary that you you support the most conservative candidate electable and if i'm uh if i can borrow from pat here and be some kind of a cynic for a moment it really sounds like the agreement that is being struck here is between mccarthy and club for growth is an agreement to say no no we're not going to insist on trying to get the most electable candidate through the primary which is an interesting concession to make don't you think Absolutely. Um, I was going to say, we went from the, the, the most conservative candidate electable to just the most conservative candidate, period. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, so even, it, uh, this actually, I want to I I probe on this a little bit, um, because it, this is, uh, in, in listening and reading to some of Jonah Goldberg's commentary over the last couple of days, I thought he made a good point about this. In, in an ideological way, is, you know, uh, let's take Kevin McCarthy out of it, but, well, you know, Chip Roy or, you know, kind of your average, um, you know, establishment Republican, or even uh, this point could be made about John Boehner, who is probably the most conservative, ideologically conservative speaker of the House that the Republicans have ever had. Is Matt Gates or Lauren Boebert meaningfully more conservative than just about anybody else within the Republican caucus? I, I just don't see that distinction that people are trying to make there. Meaningfully. Right, well, and, and and well, here here it's here's style, not ideology, though, right. right? 
Well, well, well here's, here, here's the distinction with those 20 holdouts. Again, uh, about 13 or 14 of those holdouts were more of the Chip Roy uh, wing, where you know they, they, they are legitimate principled conservatives who are trying to achieve uh, principally conservative goals and procedures and rules. Then there are about, you know, the, 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 the five or six Matt Gates and Lauren Boberts where, no, I think, if, I, think, I think their governing principle is just media and attention and, you know, making the hits on Fox News and Newsmax. I mean, that is their guiding principle. That is the difference between a Matt Gates and a Chip Roy. Yeah, so maybe the distinction we're making now is not going from you know, the most conservative candidate electable to the most conservative candidate. It's going to the most radically posed candidate that is in the primary field. The candidate that can get the most views instead right. of the most votes. Right. Well, and this, and this ties back to the committee conversation that we were having, too, because so much of the committee work that goes on is in order to get video clips for fundraising. Well, you saw Matt Gates, the fundraising that he was doing off of what was happening the last couple of days. I mean, this 100%. is, Pat, this seems to be right in your wheelhouse because this is pretty cynical stuff, it sounds like. I mean, it is. And, you know, Chip Roy, and like I said earlier, when he is on the Sunday shows looking the host in the eye and telling him, no, it is a good idea for us to be able to call up these amendments. I don't think he's doing that because he just wants to gum up the works, uh, but I don't know if he's being fully present with us in this reality about the fact that if you give Matt Gates a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk, and then he's going to want a blanket, and then he's going to want a car, et cetera, et cetera. If you've read the book, it's great. But that's why Mike Rogers was lunging at Gates. He was lunging at him because he's like, I have waited a long time to be ahead of the Armed Services Committee, and you're standing in my way. Now, Mike Rogers doesn't just want to put that on his business card. He wants to accomplish something. He has an agenda, and all politicians do. And I'm afraid that Brobert and Gates aren't politicians. They're just people who like having cameras pointed at them. And uh, they'll do whatever it takes to get the views. And that just, you know, that's fine on YouTube. But my God, in the halls of Congress? It is... It is the entertainmentization of uh, American politics, which uh, I, I don't think you have to be a cynic to think that it hasn't served us very well. We'll dive back more into that when we are back after this break. Eric Hone filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Song again. Yay. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Yay. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Yay. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. 
In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. If you want to join us on the program today, you can give us a call at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to join us on Beyond the Beltway this evening. I want to come back to this weaponization of the federal government committee that was one of the concessions won by the Chip Roy caucus of the, uh, the holdouts from the Kevin McCarthy speaker votes. And I'm just going to give you the uh, the lead here from the New York Times article about what this is going to be uh, from Washington. Newly empowered House Republicans are preparing a wide ranging investigation into law enforcement and national security agencies, raising the prospect of politically charged fights with the Biden administration over access to sensitive information like highly classified intelligence and the details of continuing criminal inquiries by the Department of Justice. The House plans to vote this week on a resolution to create a special judiciary subcommittee on what it calls the, quote, weaponization of the federal government, a topic that Republicans have signaled could include reviewing investigations into former President Donald J. Trump. The panel would be overseen by Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, who is also poised to become the Judiciary Committee's chairman. It remains to be seen who else Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who made numerous concessions to a far-right faction of his party to win the speakership, will put on it. Here's the question, Pat, I want to toss to you, which is I'm not asking um, for uh, agreement with the substance of all of that. What I'm asking is, can you understand 
where Republicans and conservatives are coming from in concern about the actions that agencies within the executive branch of the federal government took over the last, uh, I guess, about uh, six, seven years now. Um, so not necessarily do you agree with the Republicans or conservatives case that is being made, but you do. Do you at least, uh, do you understand where they're coming from on this? No. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, Jim Jordan, you know, I'm sure he has his own axes to grind, uh, but honestly, I, I, I don't think I'm as well briefed as you gentlemen about this weaponization of the federal government uh, commission. I mean, is there something specific that Jim Jordan has mentioned that I could uh, uh, well, pull how a about, thread on? How about the whole Russian collusion narrative? Okay. So his, he's saying that someone pushed this for political reasons with injustice. Is is I, I think that would be I think it would be the argument. Yeah, John, yeah. Why, why don't you why don't we start here, John? Why don't you uh, make the best case possible for why a committee like this should exist? Sure. Uh, it's not it's not as if there aren't any there aren't any legitimate points here. Uh, so, for instance, I, I, I you know, uh, one thing that that upset a lot of Republicans and conservatives and, you know, quite frankly, understandably and rightfully so was, uh, you know, the. It, it, it turns out the whole Russian collusion investigation, the two-year federal investigation cost $40 million, was predicated on a politically motivated uh, dossier from the Clinton campaign that apparently everyone just took seriously, even though it was coming from a political operative. Um, that's something that angered a lot of people on the right. Um, and I, I, I think it's also a legitimate point to make, again, everything we learned from the Twitter files, um, this back, you know, apparently there was... I. Would you go so far as to say there was collusion? I don't know about collusion, but there was certainly communication with the Federal Bureau of Investigation and all these social media companies uh, basically, uh, you know, really recommending that they uh, try to block everything on, you know, uh, Hunter Biden's, uh, you know, uh, sort of preemptively labeling it as misinformation, Russian, Russian misinformation or disinformation. Um, you know, personally, do I think that made all the difference in the 2020 election? No. However, we are having, you know, uh, fe federal wings of law enforcement uh, actively communicating, if not colluding, with a specific political party uh, around election time. And that's, you know, that's something that obviously upsets a lot of people on the right. Yeah, but I think that the, the reality, too, of the, uh, the, the Hunter Biden story is and I, I always want to point this out when we have this conversation that the Twitter blocking it probably brought more attention to the story itself right. uh, than otherwise if it was allowed to spread normally. So if the idea was to suppress it, they did a very terrible job of that. But, you know, again, Pat, given the kind of the description that you've got there, I, I you know, I understand that these are things that, um, you know, I, I even understand the counter narrative to all of this, too, where like the, the Trump Tower meeting and all of that, where it, you know, if they didn't collude, there certainly seemed to be an openness to all of it. But you you do see the stuff coming out through the Twitter files. You see the role that the FBI has played. And you certainly can trace the role that the FBI has played kind of throughout its history, all the way back during the civil rights movement and all of that. It shouldn't be that hard for people uh, on the left, I think, to understand that the FBI can be a very bad actor. And it is, I would I will confess, somewhat odd to see the left become this institutional defender of federal law enforcement. It is a it really is a turn that I wasn't expecting this whole thing to take, but then again, the last several years have been really crazy, so why should I be surprised? 
I'll say. Um, no, that, it was a great explainer. And I do understand, uh, you know, the idea of suppressing things uh, like the Hunter, ba Hunter Biden laptop story on Twitter, uh, the Russian collusion. You know, you can't collude with someone who doesn't know they're being colluded with, right? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, it's false to say that there are nation states who looked with great glee upon the political consternation and divisions that have been fortifying within this country over the, la over the course of the last six or seven years. Whether or not someone took money or deliberately was gumming up the works, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, on this side of the water is another issue entirely. Um, there's a common thread through all of this for me, and that is uh, the regulation of social media. Uh, the idea that uh, Twitter is not allowed to change uh, the algorithm or suppress this or that is simply not the case. They are allowed to do whatever they want, and they're allowed to because it's an unregulated mode of uh, sharing of communication. Um, should there be politically motivated investigations within the FBI? Not if they're looking for a certain solution, but I would argue that law enforcement in general is supposed to investigate, however strange, motivations and lines of questioning uh, with finding a solution or you know an end game in an investigation. But doing so for political purposes is wrong and should not happen. Do I think Jim Jordan is the guy to get to the bottom of that? Probably not. But um, I'm not going to poo-poo anyone who's trying to figure out if uh, power is being abused in the United States. Whether or not uh, Jim Jordan is the right person to get to the bottom of it, he is certainly the person who will do it without wearing his suit coat while he is conducting <laughs> that investigation. So at least we know that. Uh, at the risk of making a uh, rather quick uh, turn here to a different topic, why don't we move really quickly now to Joe Biden? is down in El Paso, Texas. Uh, I'm looking right now at a uh, photo from the Associated Press of him walking, as they describe it, a muddy stretch of the U.S.-Mexico border, inspecting a uh, busy port of entry on uh, a Sunday trip, the first one that he has taken in two years, uh, down to the southern border. Uh, John, are you optimistic that the Biden administration is going to start taking the border more seriously as an issue and that uh, there may be an opening for some kind of a... Uh, some kind of movement on immigration or border security? Short answer, no. Um, I would say only to the point where uh, maybe they feel like they have to take it seriously going into 2024 uh, re-election. Um, but uh, at least I will say this to his credit, if, if I heard correctly, is he actually going to a, a part of the border where immigrants are actually crossing rather than what Kamala Harris did uh, when she visited? She, I, I think she went to some section of the border that just has no traffic. Is he actually like in a port yeah, of he, is, he is in El Paso, Texas, which, um, as from previous discussions on this program, is definitely a place where a lot of the traffic is happening. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give him that. Um, but, uh, you know, do I think there's anything, there, there's going to be anything substantive coming out of this administration beyond a photo op here? Um, you know, talk about cynicism. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, to be frank, when he, when, I mean, when he stopped building the wall on day one, I think that was pretty indicative of what he what his views are on border security. I, I, I and look, I, I know it was a politicized issue and it's something Trump wanted, but at the end of the day, if if the wall is getting built, you know, going out of your way to stop it, I, I just don't think that uh, you know they're going to be in any. I, I, I mean, <laughs> there's there, there are a lot of things this house is going to you know try to have to pass. Um, something as wide-ranging as immigration reform, <laughs> I, I don't have my hopes up whatsoever. Yeah. It, 
I mean, just a real quick point, John, that these are bitterly partisan times, and I understand that, but doesn't this just highlight the danger of taking something that is so important and so serious and making it such a bitterly partisan issue in the way that uh, the wall became such a bitterly partisan and singularly identified with one political actor issue? I'm not sure if it was uh, sort of a cause or a symptom of mm. of of that polarization. I mean, mm. you know, again, th there have been attempts in the past where, you know, they, they try to make immigration reform happen and it was sort of an amnesty for more border security type thing. But this just this vehement resistance to the wall, I, I, I get that it was stemming, you know, because, you know, Trump made it such a, a sole focus of his administration. But broadly speaking, I, I would think we should all be for, I mean, you know, there has to be some system in place that, you know, it, we we can't just have people willy-nilly walking in. I mean, there has to be some some process of, 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 of checking, you know, who, who's actually coming in. Because it's by the millions at this point. You know, fiscal year 2022, there were 2.74 million uh, illegal crossings, and those are just the ones we caught. That's not, I mean, you know, this is a serious issue. And, you know, stopping the wall on day one, I, I just, I, I, I can't support that move. Yeah, Pat, uh, we are coming up on a break, so I will come back to you first thing on the other side of the break for your thoughts there. But, you know, I, I, John, I understand, again, the point that you're, you're making there. But I, I always just remember how a friend, a mutual friend of ours argued to me that the wall during the Trump campaign was just a totem. And then it turns out after he got into office, it wasn't just a totem for a kind of global sense of border security. It really was about a wall, which is why I think the wall part of it became the bitterly partisan issue that it didn't necessarily have to be. But... You know, then again, these are the times that we live in and probably fit for a high or at least mid-functioning cynic. And thankfully, we've got at least one of those, if not three, on the program this evening. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. 
Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. We are back for the final segment this evening on Beyond the Beltway. And, Pat, you were going to make a point before we came up against the break there. So go I, ahead and make it now. I was. Uh, Marv Levy is... Okay, that's not funny the second time. Um... <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, Always trying to shuffle off to the Buffalonian here, yes. What can I say? What can I say? Old habits die hard. Uh, no, there's a couple things I want to say. And, like, you know, I'm sorry, Eric, if I'm being a bad guest here, but, like, I, too, I want border security. I'm sorry I do. Um, one of the most icon uh, iconic images so far that I've seen of uh, President Biden's visit to the border is that as soon as he met up with Governor Greg Abbott, Greg Abbott handed him a sheet of paper and said, here are a list of federal laws that, if enforced, would significantly cut down on illegal uh, border crossings. So how is that going to play out? What was on that list? You know, I'm interested to see. It literally happened a few hours ago. But the point is that if we're looking at specific laws that have already passed and need to be enforced and are going to take, as I mentioned last time on the show, significant investment, perhaps, perhaps the biggest investment this country has ever made, including the New Deal, uh, to actually deal with border security in a way that is substantive and safe, um, then maybe we're on track to be able to do that. Um, stranger things have happened. And the other thing I want to say is that uh, Biden in the next couple of weeks is going to the Council on the Americas, and he'll be talking to a lot of leaders of uh, Latin American and Central American countries. Um, just something that uh, was triggered because of John's mention of uh, a symptom rather than the cause. You know, the cause is that people are fleeing their countries by the hundreds of thousands and the symptom is that they are arriving at our border and we are unable to process them in a way that is what many would consider safe um, and so there are two sides to this um, being able to get behind and find some unity around the idea of trying to get other members of the world uh, and this hemisphere uh, who are allies of ours to be able to hold up what could be a bargain that we strike their end of the bargain uh, perhaps I don't know, but uh, those are just a couple of things that jumped out at me about President Biden's trip. Uh, Pat, don't you know, uh, did you not read your radio instructions that you're supposed to be completely, uh, bitterly partisan and unreasonable and uh, not seeking to find consensus? Hate has no home here, guys. Hate has no home here. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Uh, no, we, I mean, we appreciate that. That is what uh, Beyond the Beltway has been known for. I mean, uh, John, coming back to, uh, to you, 
Um, feel free to weigh in on on any of that. Well, actually, weigh in on one part of that. Um, you know, this kind of points back to the Kamala Harris root causes part of it, right? So, like, you know, there is a there's an incentive for people to want to come here. There's an incentive for them to want to leave the places that they're at. Do, do you think there can be any meaningful progress made towards slowing down the flow of migration by addressing some of the issues that are happening in countries other than the United States? Ooh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I, I I mean. Frankly, I think most of these immigrants uh, are coming here for economic opportunities. So um, theoretically, I guess if if you know the the uh, origin countries where they're coming from um, could be competitive in that sense, uh, I'd be open to ideas. I'm not sure how much the U.S. can do in terms of that, at least beyond free trade agreements. Um, but you know, in, in terms of you know, sort of achieving a, a broader immigration deal, um, Pat and I were just discussing this. Uh, over the break, uh, I, unfortunately, I, I don't think there's enough, there's enough good faith on on either side to try to you know accomplish anything as as broad or as or as um, as reaching as that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, going forward, something something has to be done. And uh, in 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 terms of uh, trying to stem the the or, or you know uh, lower the traffic and uh, of of migrants coming over, I'd be open for ideas. Actually, I don't know. It, uh, t- uh, you guys tell me what do you think uh, could might might uh, lower the traffic there uh, we should just send them footage of uh, the house floor from the past week <laughs> and uh, I think no one's gonna <laughs> touch us with a 10-foot pole <laughs> <laughs> um, we we put up a uh, we we kind of put up a scarecrow of Matt Gates at the border, <laughs> and it'll just keep uh, absolutely well, everybody yeah. away from wanting to cross. No, I I always I always also want to make this point when we come around to this conversation that the the incentive to want to come here illegally is a completely reasonable one. If you are an unskilled migrant worker wanting to come into this country and you're being told to get in line, the line is 175 years long unless you have somebody who's a relative who's already in this country. And until we do something to address that incentive structure, I just don't see how you're ever going to fix the problem that is drawing so many of those people to want to come here. And the the economic opportunity part of it is true. But I think, Pat, this is one of the other things I think the left needs to uh, begin to deal with is the way the system is being gamed by people who are showing up and they are wanting to claim asylum because they think that they're in danger back home. Um, in not all cases is that true, but it's a way for them to get in and get released into the country. And, and this isn't something that's working out very well. I, I think that's fair to say. No, I mean, being able to process the amount of people who are arriving at our border, I think you've both you've covered kind of the two sides of, of what that coin would be. One is disincentivation, and the other is being able to deal with the people who are supposed to be here and sifting them from the ones that aren't. But what this comes down to, for me, again, I mean, disincentivation, that comes to the, the jobs that these people do when they arrive. They're coming here because people are telling them, there are jobs here for you to do, and it's easy to do, you know? Um, ask any farm union uh, about pulling Brussels sprouts or, or like, you know, the rate at which people are paid and have to work um, and ask yourself if anyone who was born here would do that job. I mean, I can beat that drum all day. That is a lefty thing and I'll take, I'll, I'll own it. Um, but the other part of it is that this is going to take so much money. And this is something that no one will really talk with me about is that where is the money going to come from? Amazon or UPS, um, you know, taxing uh, large companies and telling them, you know, you're benefiting from the labor that these people are bringing and we're about to tell them to stop coming. So why don't you take some of the mm-hmm. profits you made and help us build a wall, help us fund 
a million homeland security agents to be able to process the amount of people who are arriving at our borders. Like, literally, the logistics of what yep. we're discussing are expensive. We're going to have to uh, leave it there for the conversation this evening. I want to first thank uh, Charles Lipson, the uh, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Chicago, who joined us in the first hour. Uh, John Giacaris, our conservative for this evening. Thank you for joining the program. Again, I encourage people to go follow him on Facebook if you don't already. Pat, where, uh, Pat Whalen, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Until Elon implodes, I'm on Twitter at the Pat Whalen, the only Pat Whalen, T-H-E-P-A-T-W-H-A-L-E-N. Kind of like uh, reminds me of the real Donald Trump, but I uh, I won't hold. Uh, no, I had that, that before you. then. But thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in this evening. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. We will see you next week. back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? 
No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov.